Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Agent Missional Podcast, and this is episode 76. And we're continuing on in our series of Women in Leadership. And today, we are reflecting on the value and the shaping of the roundabout journey. Let's do this! And we are back. Thank you guys so much for continuing to join our conversation and to be part of this new series, Women in Leadership. And today, as always, we have Bernard and Xenia here. How are you guys doing? Hello. Hey. Yes, we are excited about this. In fact, this is actually our first guest that we're going to be having on today. And we have the very special privilege of having Reverend Melissa Ewing, lead pastor of Redwood Park Church, join us. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. And would you tell us a little bit about yourself, about where your heart is at, and what you go about your days with? Sure. Yeah. So I am a lead pastor, well, a brand new lead pastor at Redwood Park Church in Thunder Bay, Ontario. I've had the title of lead pastor for two months. (laughs) We just moved to Thunder Bay last October. My husband is also on staff. He's our pastor of spiritual formation. His name is Jay. He's a great guy. Uh, We have two daughters who are 14 and 12, which is a new adventure of parenting teenage girls. And right before we came here, we were in Vancouver. So we were both pastoring at 10th Church in Vancouver. And we kind of hopped around in churches and also parachurch ministries over the years. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you for sharing about yourself a little bit. I heard somewhere that you are a fan of trail running. What is trail running and how is that different than? other types of running. Yeah, trail running. I started running after my kids were born. And as you get older, it gets harder to run on the pavement. It's harder on your knees. So for sheer necessity of saving my knees, I switched over to running on trails, which is like trails, you know, soft trails through a forest or something and discovered that I loved it so much more. Forest trails, mountain trails, beautiful places. Often I end up pausing just to admire the beauty. So there isn't always as much exercise involved as just being out in God's creation. Probably a better run than running on pavement anyways. So <laughs> so much better. The secret is out. Yeah, I pray and, and listen to podcasts or sermons when I run. And so oftentimes I'm like, yes, that's so good. So when I'm out in the forest by myself, it's much better to talk like to myself. As opposed to running on a street and people think I'm a crazy lady running around <laughs> talking to myself or like, amen, praise Jesus as I'm, as I'm running. So That could be your witness. You know, I'm glad to hear it has that multiple benefits of it's spiritually life-giving, but it's also good for your physical body, right? It's, you know, training and yep. stuff like that. Yes. And so as we are starting off this series, we were wondering if you could just share with us your journey into ministry and perhaps the journey that's led to you becoming lead pastor today? Yeah, it's a bit of a roundabout journey. When I was a kid, I grew up in the Catholic Church. Everybody knows there aren't women as priests in the Catholic Church. So it never really occurred to me that this was something that I could do. But for a short period in my life, I was at a Catholic school. So when I was about 10, ah, maybe, maybe 11, 
we had a speech competition and I entered the speech competition and I wrote a speech about prejudice and Mm. racism. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember I pulled in scripture and I won the speech competition. So I got sent to the regionals. So I was in grade six competing against, you know, kids in grade 12. I think I got second, something like that. Completely forgot about that until a couple of years ago. And I felt like the Lord reminded me. I actually placed a calling and a gifting in you at that age. But because of your church situation, because you didn't see females in pastoral roles or anything, it just didn't even occur to me. I probably really committed my life, my own personal relationship with God when I was about 19, went to a one-year discipleship program at Nazarene University College, which is now Ambrose. My husband was there, met him, got married pretty quickly. We went to this ordination weekend. I went to support him in his ordination journey. The end of the weekend, they sat down with us and they said, not only Jay, do we recommend you for ordination, but Melissa, we also recommend you for ordination. I remember laughing like, these guys obviously don't know me. That's clearly not what God is calling me to do. (laughs) And so we just kind of left that and... You know, at that point, for my own, my husband's own reasons, he didn't step into pastoral ministry right away either. So we, I worked as an elementary school teacher for a while. I worked as a bookkeeper for a season. We worked for a parachurch organization called Arasha, Christians in Conservation, and various outreach organizations with children and youth and just kind of skirting around the ministry thing. And my husband ended up getting a job at 10th Church, but a year and a half into his role, the lead pastor, Ken Shigematsu, approached me and said, hey, we have an opening for a family pastor. Would you consider it? I was like, yeah, no, <laughs> not with a mil, not like wouldn't even touch it with a million foot pole. I, I do not want that job, but decided to pray about it anyway, and really felt like the Lord was saying, take this job. So I took it, took a leave from the school board, thought I would only be there for, you know, one to three years to kind of help the church out in a bind. And had an opportunity to preach. And it was the first time that I had a chance to preach where I just sensed that I was doing something that God made me to do. So like teaching was a good fit for me. I got to teach, but it was like proclaiming the gospel to a broader range of people, children, youth, but also adults in the pews on a Sunday morning where it was like the light bulb went off. And right around that time, God spoke very, very clearly. Like I heard his voice, which has never happened to me before. (laughs) I was falling asleep one night, praying about a completely unrelated matter. And all of a sudden I heard God's voice say, preach. Like a command, deep in my bones, preach. (laughs) I was like, what is happening? And this is all during my discernment. Should I leave teaching altogether? It was God calling me to be a pastor for life and all of that. And then I felt like, what felt like a hand over my mouth and I couldn't say anything. And so I managed to finally just say the word, the name Jesus really, really quickly. And then whatever it was, this heavy oppression type thing left. By this time I'm wide awake. I was thinking, is that one of those dreams that you have when you're drifting off to sleep and something weird happens and that place between waking and dreaming. And then I heard it again, preach very, very clearly. And again, I felt the hand over my mouth. And this heaviness. So I said the name Jesus again. And at this point, I'm like, okay, God, I think you're here and you're speaking to me, but why does it feel like I can't, I can't speak and the enemy is here as well? 
and this is really, really crazy and really weird, but I, but I felt the Lord saying, the words I'm putting in your mouth are a sharp weapon against the enemy. Mm. I was like, what is happening? I cannot handle this. I need to go to sleep. God, let me sleep. So immediately presence of the Holy Spirit comes. I fall asleep. And the next morning I was like, what just happened? My husband is like, I had the best sleep last night. It was so peaceful in our room. I was like, that's because <laughs> the Holy Spirit was there. <laughs> but yeah. And so throughout through my time at 10th, I just started to feel more and more that God was calling me to step into leadership development and preaching, obviously. <laughs> and so started looking for roles as a primary communicator in churches and as a female. It was a it was a bit of a discouraging job search. <laughs> I'll be honest. It was a bit tough. Started to wonder what God was doing when I heard him say preach and doubt. Did I really hear him? You know, was I making that up? Was that just wishful thinking? So here we are now in Thunder Bay. And a year ago, Thunder Bay was not on my radar. It's another kind of a God story how we ended up here, but we're here and I have a role where I am the lead pastor and I'm preaching and I was recently chatting with a mentor and he said, you know, almost, I don't know why we ever doubted that God wouldn't give you a role. Like God said, preach. So obviously he's going to open a door. <laughs> I don't know why, why we were fearful about the whole thing, but yeah. So here I am. I was not expecting to be here even six years ago. Did not expect that this was a lifelong calling for me. Now that I'm doing it, I can't imagine doing anything else kind of a long-winded answer. <laughs> no, that was beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for the honor of, of letting us hear that too. You know, that has been God's work in your life. And, you know, we celebrate that and we affirm that for sure. And, you know, just to kind of follow up on that, you mentioned that along this journey, there were certain points of discouragement. Were there specific things that were discouraging you? And was this particularly the job search? Or were there other moments where, you know, as you've been journeying in ministry, that were particular challenges? Yeah, well, I think a big part of it was when I look back now, I can see the points where God was calling me into something. And I can also see why I didn't recognize it. And whether or not I didn't recognize it at the time or whether or not there was just nobody there to point it out to me from a mentoring perspective, or maybe God just wasn't ready to reveal that to me yet. It was there, but he hadn't opened my eyes yet to see it. Whatever the case is, there were these moments where, you know, one example is, so my husband, Jay, pastor of spiritual formation, he is a classic shepherding pastor and also trained as a spiritual director. So like, if you have a discernment issue, having trouble hearing God's voice, pastoral care thing, he is, he's your guy. He can preach and teach. He just doesn't want to. <laughs> he'll teach a class, but he doesn't, he'll preach on Sunday, but it's not his driver. And all along when he was working as a pastor and I wasn't, I was always like, why wouldn't you want to preach? Like, that seems like the most amazing thing ever. And, and I would be trying to like help him with his sermons and he'd be like, no, <laughs> leave me alone. Let me do this myself. And I'd be totally jumping in and be met with this frustration all the time. Like this seems like the most wonderful thing in the world. Why wouldn't you want to do it? And now I see that that was this desire in me to do it, but I was projecting that onto him. And I mm. think a big reason why is because I just, I didn't see women 
in these roles. I just didn't really think it was possible. At another point, we were working at an Anglican church. He was the youth pastor at an Anglican church. Our priest was a female, Louise Peters. She's amazing. And I remember saying to my husband, Jan, on a number of occasions, man, if Louise was my priest growing up and I was Anglican, I would totally be a priest right now. We didn't have kids at the time. Like, There's no reason why I couldn't have gone to seminary to become a priest at that moment. But it just didn't even occur to me that, oh, wait, maybe I should consider this. So just kind of little tiny moments like that that were just, yeah, frustrating, I think, because I was never quite in the right fit, I suppose. I would just like to say, like, I love how, as you're describing your story, there's like all these influences, like growing up Catholic and then going to the Nazarene school and then having like been a part of an Anglican church. It's just really cool to see like, you know, the formation piece just kind of coming in so many different Christian narratives. And I think like, it's it's really cool because sometimes like, I think we have chatted with people who have kind of like one story. It's like, I grew up Christian and... I'm still part of the same church and that's it. But then like to be impacted and shaped in form, it's, it's just really cool. Yeah, I did bounce around. I came to faith in a Baptist church. <laughs> and when I was growing up, my best friend was Pentecostal. So I'd go with her to her evening Pentecostal services. So <laughs> I was all over the Christian map. <laughs> my confession was like that too. I was part of an Alliance church, but then I also moonlighted at a Pentecostal church at night. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But it's it does shape who you are, right? It has profoundly influenced both Jay and I to be part of different traditions. What I find really wonderful about your story is even as you're telling it, it 2020, you see it kind of clearly, but you know, as you're telling it, it's you've just got all these pieces and slowly they just come together. But I think when we're in those moments, like your story really exemplifies that, you know, the road to following Jesus isn't always super clear, nor is it easy. Well, just thank you for your vulnerability and sharing that. So I think that's really important, especially because a lot of younger women, as you were saying, don't have that role model. We don't get the pieces put together for us, but somehow God is doing that anyway. Yeah, I do think that that's a really important point, that it is the path into ministry and leadership in the church for women isn't quite as clear. (laughs) And the more women I talk to who find themselves in some sort of pastoral role, it seems like a common thread. It's kind of a roundabout journey into ministry where all of a sudden you're like, oh, of course I should be doing this. Yeah. But that said, I mean, I loved being an elementary school teacher. I loved my time at Arasha. I loved my time when I was at home when our daughters were young. And so one of the things that I have been considering lately is how do we encourage women in pastoral ministry and leadership in the church? And I've been thinking about my roundabout journey and how now that I'm in a position to hire people or develop people or speak into conversations, how do I help not just myself, but others to recognize that there's value in the roundabout journey? There's value in the multi denominational diversity and there's value in the years that I stayed at home with my kids and there's value in the time I spent in children's ministry those have all shaped who I am now and in some ways I'd wager that it makes you a better pastor for having those experiences (laughs) well it makes me maybe a different pastor than than a lot of my peers I suppose (laughs) yeah 
you know, you've talked a lot about preaching. Are there other passions in ministry that you've got, like that just kind of burn in your in your bones? I really love leadership development, but leadership development as discipleship. And so what does it look like for people to become the men and women that God made them to be? And how do we build leaders in the church from within that discipleship paradigm? So it's something that, you know, we worked on at 10th Church. It's something that we're starting to do here at Redwood is explore this idea of discipleship and leadership development. So I wanted to follow up a little bit about how, for you, like there is this drive, there is this interest and passion to also want to encourage young women into ministry and how sharing your own story, the roundabout story, has been something that has given you a lived experience for you to be able to come alongside and, and helping them. Because I think what you guys are saying is absolutely right. It's, it's, it seems that it's just not as straight of a process. <laughs> and so, you know, how in particular have you found that uh, as you've spoken to others or others have approached you, you know, how have those conversations gone? How have you found opportunities to particularly encourage someone when they are discouraged about how twisty and windy the road can be, or perhaps there are setbacks and perhaps there are some perspectives and positions out there that make it perhaps more challenging? Yeah, I think one of the highlights, it'll probably always be one of the highlights of my whole ministry life when I look back when I retire someday, if that ever happens, <laughs> I hit this point in my role as family pastor. I hired children's pastors and I hired youth pastors. What I was increasingly finding is hiring youth pastor positions, recognizing that young women needed to see women in positions of leadership if we were ever going to open the door or if women were going to be able to step into that. And we had we had a male on staff already as a youth pastor. So I thought, okay, if, if we have a female that applies, even if her resume is not quite there yet, we're going to try to open doors. And I can't remember, I think we got 60 applicants or something and two females applied for the job. And I, ke I kept thinking to myself, why is this? Where are the women? Because I know women are going to seminary. What's going on here? And then I started looking around at our staff and realizing, you know what, we have a number of women on staff who are incredibly gifted, there's a good chance that God is calling them into ministry and they're in administrative support positions. And so we pulled the women together and did an intentional one-year leadership development discernment journey together. We used some arrow leadership resources and it was just as much about helping them to discern their calling, but also for me, which I let them know, this is also for me to figure out like what, what's going on here? Like what, what's, where's the gap? You guys could help me understand what are the barriers for younger women? Because, you know, they're all 15 years younger than me or so. What really stood out to me is every one of those women had had experiences and gifting and calling where if they had been young men in the church, somebody Multiple people by then have, would have said, I see the gifting in you. I see the calling in you. And I was the first one to say this to many of them in that group. And, and they're in their mid-20s, most of them. To me, that was the big wake-up call that I think for younger women in particular, 
just because somebody hasn't called out the gifting or calling in you doesn't mean it's not there. It just means that people aren't on the lookout necessarily for young women in ministry yet. But I think the tides are turning. I think it's changing. I think, too, one of the pieces, too, is that every one of those women had had experiences in the church where they were discouraged from using their gifts as well at some point, where they each had strong leadership gifts. And somewhere along the lines, they were taught that it wasn't feminine to use those gifts, that somehow they were stepping out of a gender role, which was the shame because they're all incredibly talented women. And I count them my close friends still. Curious to follow up on what you were saying, Melissa, that like the tide was changing and things mm-hmm. were beginning to change. I'm curious, like, what are some of the things that you're observing and that you are noticing that like the change is beginning to happen? Yeah. I mean, well, I was expecting, as was my board, my church board, our elders board, and support from our denominational district office. We were expecting that for me to step into the lead pastor role that I would receive, you know, some emails or some phone calls or whatever it was. And I haven't heard anything except congratulations and fellow male colleagues who are reaching out, wanting to connect or support or just have conversations and create a network of peers and whatever that looks like. Yes. You know, I have a handful of wonderful male friends who are lead pastors and I connect with on a regular, a semi-regular basis. And I was expecting it to be harder, but it hasn't been. No, it's been good. (laughs) Praise God. Absolutely praise God, for sure. Melissa, we really want to thank you so much for sharing your journey and for your story. And hopefully it is an encouragement to many. And you had just mentioned just a bit before that how it was a shame how young women have been told certain things and not been able to use their giftings. And I think that just requires a moment of pause because that's heartbreaking because that's the way that God has made someone and for anyone to be told that, hey, th- these are the spiritual gifts that, like, that that person has that you can't use them. That's really hard, <laughs> right? And that's, that's really detrimental for even a person's own spiritual life. I, I really appreciate what you said. I think it's a, it's, it's a very timely word. And I think the church suffers for it, to stop half the population from using the gifts that God has given them to serve the Lord and you know, build the kingdom and live life on mission and to even share the gospel from a different perspective. Our churches, our expressions of faith are far less rich when we're holding people back from using their gifts. It's been pretty wonderful to be able to serve alongside my husband in this way. And for the two of us to be able to both use our gifts and to be celebrated and valued for our gifts in this community, where one of the things that we encountered when we were looking for positions is that many people wanted to hire my husband, Jay, as the lead and me as the pastoral care person. And we kept saying, but that's, <laughs> that's it. That's the opposite of our gifting. <laughs> I'm like, I, uh, well, obviously pastoral care is important and valuable. I love the shepherds. Shepherding is not my top spiritual gift. It's my husband. So why would you hire him to do the teaching when that's not his 
main spiritual gift and hire me to do the shepherding when it's not my spiritual gift instead of putting us in the opposite roles. Seems so obvious to say it out loud, but it actually was quite difficult to find a place that it wasn't even an issue. At least what was said to us when we were hired is it's not an issue. And I don't think it was getting to know the people here. So it's been good. That's awesome to hear. Thank you for both you and your husband for using your giftings and stepping forward faithfully and also in a way to be an encouragement for others. And in a way, you guys are modeling essentially what you, you know, when you were younger, that you were hoping to see. And so hopefully people, when they see you use your giftings and, and you see you lead, that they are also willing to, to open their lives to what God has put on their hearts and to step forward in faith that way. And in a way, you know, you are creating those opportunities, you're mentoring them and you're encouraging them. So thank you so much for that. You know, as you're sharing a little bit about how you are encouraging others and how you're encouraging, especially women who have faced discouragement and had kind of this roundabout journey as well, in a way that you are someone who is kind of entering in and you are becoming a, a somewhat of a bridge. And I found an article that you had written that is called My Name is Bridge. And I read it through and I was like, wow. And of course, that particular is on a different topic. As someone who is a descendant from First Nations heritage, and especially everything that has come out this year in regards to residential schools and, and the grieving and the, the lament, for you, what has that process been like to process personally as a follower of Jesus and as a pastor? But also, how have you found it helpful to be able to lead your congregation and lead others in being able to wrestle through it and to be able to sit with it and, and to be able to work through it? Yeah, I think the two for me are tied together, which is why I just, I'm, I'm so thankful that God led us here and that uh, I have this role. There are many people early on in my journey when I felt called into ministry, when I was able to step out and actually name it, that said, oh, you should be a women's pastor. Or, oh, you should be an Indigenous ministries pastor or go work for an Indigenous ministries organization. <laughs> I say, but you don't say that to my husband. Like, you should be a men, men's pastor <laughs> or like a Caucasian people's <laughs> pastor. Like, that's, you know, I, I don't know. Just, Truth. Truth. Right? <laughs> Piece of my discerning my calling. So when I did my education degree, I actually did it in Kamloops. I, I lived in Kamloops for my teenage years. And the focus of my degree was Indigenous education. And so we spent time with Sequemic elders. We were at that residential school. We got toured through it by the elders. I took classes there for field trips, for cultural experiences. So when the news broke, there was a little bit of a personal connection. It's not my, that's not my First Nation, but I, I lived there for a time and, and know some of the people. It was pretty tough. It, it still is. But I do remember when I first, when the news, my husband said, hey, this, like, check out this article. They just discovered these 215 right at the Kamloops Residential School. My first thought was like, oh, I wonder if this is going to make like national headlines. It wasn't a surprise because I think for those in the Indigenous community, like people know, <laughs> we know that there are more unaccounted for children. And so I think what it represents, I think, is people like it shouldn't take the discovery of mass graves for people to actually listen <laughs> when people have been speaking the truth that this exists 
for a long time. I'm thinking about the timing of that, that now we're in Thunder Bay. And a big reason for us discerning that God was calling us here is because of this calling. So there's a part of my calling that has to do with reconciliation. And if there ever was a place to engage in reconciliation, the broad sense of the form, but in particular, Caucasian indigenous reconciliation or racial reconciliation as a whole, Thunder Bay seems like a pretty obvious place that God would call me. And you know what? This Thunder Bay was on my radar before we moved here, not because I ever thought of living here, but because I would always read the stories about the, the communities that don't have fresh water or the suicide rates among youth. And I mean, it, this place is known to the indigenous population across Canada. So it seems, seems like something that God would do, <laughs> that he would call us here and give me this role for such a time as this. And so I guess maybe my approach right now is just teaching and preaching and leading the best way I know how to do based on my own experience and who God made me to be as a pastor and as a female and as an Indigenous person who's both Indigenous and Caucasian on both sides of my family. And that is what God is going to use in this moment here in Thunder Bay. We definitely celebrate and affirm what God has done in your life, Melissa. Thanks so much for sharing your journey and your reflections with us. And thank you to all the listeners for joining us today. What did you think of Reverend Melissa's stories? We'd love to hear your reflections, especially as we are starting this brand new series of Women in Leadership. You can reach us by Facebook, Twitter, or by Instagram. Or you can email us at contact.campodcast at gmail.com. That's contact.campodcast at gmail.com. And let us know what you think. If you haven't done so already, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share it with others. Let this be a blessing and let this be a conversation starter. And let this hopefully be one way in which we can continue to pray and discern together. You've been listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and we hope you'll join us on this journey. See you next time.